I'm Marianne Baton, Director of Strategy and Collaboration with Workplace Strategies for Mental Health. Thanks so much for joining us today. I'm here with Maggie, who's going to talk about how domestic violence has impacted her life, and Kelly Ziegler, the President and CEO of United Way London Middlesex. Keep listening for important information about how leaders, co-workers, and the organization can build a culture of trust and support. Maggie and Kelly, thank you so much for joining us and agreeing to speak today about domestic violence. Maggie, can you tell us a little bit about how you were impacted? Certainly, uh, and thanks again for having me here. Uh, That is a a big question, one that I'm not sure I can answer quickly. Um, But in summary, I've been impacted in virtually every way. Mental and emotional abuse permeates everything, your self-confidence, ability to function normally, I found I had adapted by compartmentalizing my life and functioning almost robotically at times, uh, very frequently actually. Um, And my work suffered to some extent because I was unbalanced just with the compartmentalization and stressed and depressed. Um, I thought of myself as a bit of a workaholic even. I would rather be here at work. I needed to be at work. I wanted to be at work um, because it was my escape and my safe place. I went from being a healthy, high-achieving, optimistic young woman uh, when I first got married to one who struggled to focus on one task. Uh, Making dinner at times was excruciatingly hard because I had been so used to being second-guessed and um, questioned on what I was doing that I would second-guess myself on even how to make dinner some nights. Um, I was told that I was crazy, that there was something wrong with me. So every decision, every reaction I had, I had to think through Um, And it would almost paralyze me to make a decision because I I just felt so disjointed. Um, Parenting. I have a a child and parenting was extremely difficult. So it permeated that aspect of my life as well. So as a functioning young woman in a career, I was trying to balance all those different aspects and still survive and still function. So it impacted me in a huge way, like every single area of my life was impacted. I know a lot of um, people would think, well, how could it happen? And yet I know from talking to strong professional women like yourself that it's insidious and it starts off very slowly as you've described. And I think that uh, for any of us who think it couldn't happen to us, we just don't understand it. Right. It is. It was uh, very subtle. It was... um really undetectable and then it then things I would question but then I would think oh no it's me he said it was me it's um, surely I caused it Um, I would justify that in my mind and and brush it aside to agree with him and just to um, to I guess justify it somehow and then then that was a spiral of all kinds of different self-esteem the you know issues and and not being able to make an easy decision because I would almost paralyze, like I said, to just think, well, how am I supposed to react in this situation? Because maybe I really am crazy. So it starts off, there's an expression about a frog in boiling water or something. Yes, when you turn it up slowly. And that's exactly what, what it was. Yes. What would people at work have seen if they knew what to look for? Oh, that's a great question. Um... I'm not, 
I'm not sure. Um, I covered it up really, really well. I can honestly say in the years that I worked here at Canada Life, um, very few people knew because, like I said, I compartmentalized. So I just, I got to work and that was my safe place. This is where I could, um, I could function sort of normally. Um, but I think if somebody was looking for that, then maybe they would, um, they would notice hesitancy when there shouldn't be hesitancy on something simple like a decision. Um, or just the fact that at least I felt my work was struggling to some extent. I don't know if it was noticeable to everybody else, but I felt like I was just dropping the ball left, right, and center. And I think maybe some insecurities um, that started to come into play. Um, I mean, even my own family didn't really notice. And I'm talking over the, the years of 17 years. They, it wasn't until I sort of told my parents what was happening that they could then go, oh, yeah, that looking back, like that makes sense with what happened here and that kind of thing. And they could start to put pieces together. But um, I think I, do, I have covered it up so purposefully so that nobody would know because I didn't want to have anybody know that I was struggling. Right. Does that make sense? It, it, it does. So, Kelly, if we may not be able to see it, and it's not happening at work. Why is this domestic violence a workplace issue? Well, it definitely is a workplace issue. And I'm going to quote um, a number of pieces of research from the Center for Research and Education on Violence Against Women and Children. And that research center is here at uh, Western University. And they have uh, great research, but also some great programs to help employers. So, you know, back to your question, we know that people bring their whole self to work. And um, as much as you said you'd like to compartmentalize things, um, it does start to show up in your work. So 50% of individuals uh, who were being abused stated that that carried over into their work in some way. So it could be threatening text messages or phone calls that somebody is receiving at work or an individual waiting outside the workplace. So the abuse is actually coming with them to work um, beyond just the trauma that they may be experiencing. And the vast majority of individuals impacted by abuse uh, state that it does begin to impact your work performance. So so for those uh, reasons alone, it is a workplace uh, issue. But in Ontario, we have Bill 168. So there's actually legislation that um, demands that employers have a, programs and policies in place to help individuals who are dealing with um, violence in their homes. Can I add to that as sure. well, that I can totally relate to the threatening text messages or the email um, situations, because as much as this was my safe place to come to work, that still home still permeates work, um, whether it had to do with um, something I had done the night before or had something to do uh, in relation to our son. It was never positive. My blood pressure would skyrocket. It would, I'd be tense. It would, there was always, very often, threatening text messages as well that would come here um, at work. And so it's, it's definitely a workplace issue because, like Kelly mentioned, even though I compartmentalize my life, I can't compartmentalize my body. So I come to work, and as much as I try to just leave them separate, um, at some point they do collide. Mm-hmm. And did anybody notice? Uh, no, nobody noticed. I uh, I confided into a close work friend. Um, she is. I still talk to her regularly. Um, and from what I can recall, 
I went to her first, and, and really it was for validation. Um, because a few things were said here at work, just innocently, innocent comments made by coworkers, and I, my immediate thought was, oh, I don't get treated like that at home. And so then I eventually, I'm talking probably a year after her and I became close work friends, I just shared something with her to say, like, am I, is this normal? Because this is what I get at home and this is what I get at work. And she, she was the one that was like, no, something's wrong. So I had that confidant to talk to, um, but nobody at work actually noticed. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess it is that we just assume it's your personality, right? That that's who you are and that's why you exactly. react that way. Yeah. Kelly, um, the United Way uh, has things to in place to help people who are in abusive relationships. Can you share a bit about what that is? Sure. So I can talk about our local United Way, but I would say, generally speaking, United Ways across the country are very connected to this issue and support agencies in, in virtually every community in the country. Um, specifically here in in London and region, we support ANOVA, the Women's Real Resource Centre in Strathroy, uh, Changing Ways, and a signature program called the New Beginnings Loan Fund, which um, encompasses all of those agencies that are helping women. And what I love about the New Beginnings Loan Fund is it's a small loan program to help women access funds to be able to leave those relationships. So often, uh, finances are controlled uh, so much by their intimate partner that they are not able to, um, you know, gather the resources to be able to leave, whether it be for uh, first and last month's rent or um, transportation or items for their children. So this is uh, small loans that people can access of up to $500 to help them make that next step. Um, so those can be, a little bit of help can be really transformational. And those programs all span um, the, the, the whole experience that a woman may be facing. Often people think of those agencies as, as a shelter where you go to get help if you've left. But I would say um, women should be thinking about those places much sooner in their journey because they can be really helpful in creating those exit plans, uh, creating safety plans to ensure that they're able to leave safely, that they have the resources, that they can start saving and planning for that day to come. And, um, you know, so the shelter is there when they need it, but um, let's have a whole plan together in place for a, a woman and her children so that she can leave safely. What if she's not sure she wants to leave yet? Is there help to talk it through to make the decision? Yeah, 100%. Um, you know, families are a unit often. And so, you know, the the priority is always ensuring the health and safety of, um, you know, the people being impacted by the violence or trauma. Um, but there are also programs like Changing Ways in London, which is actually a program that helps men to be better. And so sometimes families stay together and you want the abuser to be able to access programs and services that counsels them on, you know, why why they're behaving this way. Often it's because of a life of trauma that they've already experienced. And how can they be better uh, partners and parents to their family? 
That's great. So you're really looking at it from every angle. Mm -hmm. And for people who are listening and saying, yeah, I want to reach out, I want more information about that, where do they go? So um, across the country, you have a great service called 211. So in any community, you can just simply dial 211 like you would dial 411 for information. And that connects you to 24-7 access to operators who operate in multiple languages who can do information and referral for your own community. So uh, again, uh, 211, you can also visit their website and find information easily that way. Thank you. And this next question really can be for both of you. And it's, what do you think a leader at work, so manager, supervisor, should do if they suspect that someone is living with domestic violence? So um, off the top, I uh, referenced the Center for Research of um, and Education on Violence Against Women and Children, and they have a great program and website called makeitourbusiness.ca. And so you can go there as an employer and find great resources, training uh, on what to do should this come to your workplace. But I think it's always about leading with empathy. When you're a leader in any organization, you want to build that culture of trust and empathy in your organization. And so, you know, if you uh, suspect that something may be amiss with your employee, I think it's okay to, you know, identify it, to name it, and to check in with the person. You know, you're not jumping to conclusions, but to say, you know, you just got off the phone and I could hear yelling on the other end. Is everything okay with you? Um, I think those are fair questions to ask, and it shows that you have uh, empathy and trust. And I think it's about creating that culture. So ideally, what you want is people to feel safe enough at work that they can come to you, um, but that takes time to build. Sure, it does. And Maggie, what would you have said if your leader said, I'm worried about you, is everything okay at home? I think there would have come a point where I probably would have broken and shared some things, but I think it's also crucial, like Kelly was saying, about building that culture, um, but also a culture of trust. Because, I mean, I didn't even tell my own parents until it got to the point of, the, really, there was no point, like, no way to return. Like, I just got to the end of my rope. So I would have had to really have trusted a leader to share. Um, if she had asked, he or she had asked I, that question, um, I think depending on the stage I was at, I either would have covered it up like I did for so many years, or I'm if towards the end, I probably would have just said, oh, you know, things are a little bit stressful, a little bit tense. And um, I may have gone into some detail, but I, I don't think I would have just, you know, spilled my gut, so to speak, and, and told her all the details. Mm-hmm. Um, again, because I wanted to keep that professional um, barrier up because I did want a career here. I did want to excel and in my mind I thought well if I if I let people know then maybe that will hold me back maybe they're going to see me as incapable and incompetent and all that kind of things again what I had been told for all those years that I was and I thought I have to have some type of a different front here so I have to hold my stuff you know myself together Um, so it took a long time for me to open up to any leadership about it yeah that's a lot of years that you had to endure it as a, a secret And we talk a lot about secrets and the harm that it does. And I think what you're explaining is how this secret reinforced the lies that you were being told. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Um, And 
the the next question that I have for you is um, with workplace strategies, we've got resources to raise awareness about domestic violence. But do you think workplace education could help prevent domestic violence, domestic abuse? Do you think if we talk openly about it, that it has that potential? Um, I, I definitely think it has the potential. I don't know um, if I would agree or use the word prevent domestic violence, but I, I really think with really any situation, education is the key. Education for leaders, education for um, for co-workers and workers who are going through it. I mean, a leader could go through it too, right? It's not They're not exempt from it. But I think just educating the public and whether it's signs or um, just that it happens. I know in my time with working with United Way over the last few months, I've learned that one in four women will experience domestic violence in their lifetime. It's not a maybe. It's not, well, these are some numbers. It's It's a statistic that to me just blows my mind that there's, it's that big of an issue. So I do think we need to have education in the workplace um, in, in all aspects of the workplace, like from leadership uh, down to teams to HR, that kind of thing. Um, and just the awareness with the United Way and the agencies that they fund and help partner with, it, it needs to come all full circle and people just need to have some level of awareness. Kelly, you talked about the Changing Ways program, and I'm just curious, the more we talk about domestic violence um, at work and in the media, how does that affect men who are uh, abusing in the home? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I had the opportunity to visit Changing Ways and actually sit and speak to a couple of men who were going through the program. And you conjure up these ideas of what does an abuser look like? And, you know, it was nervous and, and, you know, sort of went into that with trepidation. Like, I don't know who I'm going to be sitting across from. Um, you know, he's a self-admitted abuser. And when I walked in, I sat down across the desk from a man, that uh, very successful uh, businessman in our community. And, you know, he looked like every other leader I go and, and meet with to talk about United Way campaigns. And so, you know, he wasn't a monster or, you know, the things that I had conjured up in my head. And what was interesting was he talked about his abuse and there was a, some workplace context. And so he had an executive assistant for many years and he was always commended about how well he treated uh, his executive assistant. And they had a good partnership and, and, um, one day it hit him and he thought, I would never treat her like I treat my wife at home. Mm-hmm. And that was the moment when he realized, I got to do something about this. And so he reached out to Changing Ways to start into the program. And so, you know, it's interesting. Um, workplace does sort of permeate from that angle as well. Right, right. But how great that he had that insight and reached out himself without waiting uh, to be charged or right. for his wife to leave. And just to to expand on that a little bit more, from my side of it, I nobody at work knew that I was going through what I was going through because I looked professional. I didn't have the physical signs of abuse in terms of, uh, you know, black eye or broken bones, that kind of thing. It was all emotional and verbal, so it was all internal. Um, so just as Kelly was saying, he didn't look like a monster. Um, I didn't walk around like with a big 
button or a t-shirt. Like I, it wasn't obvious that I was going through that either. So it's, it's, and that's, I think, part of the education is that it's so, so subtle. It can be. And I think the other thing with the educating um, workplace element is that people don't know how to react. So when I did finally share a little bit of my situation with some leaders, I think they'd almost react better if I had said that my spouse had just died because people know how to deal with that a little mm-hmm. bit differently than it was just like they were kind of like, well, what, what do I do? So to have that piece in the education part as well as how to respond and if and it's OK not to say anything, but just, you know, just to be that listening ear and just to offer some some help in any way. Yeah, we've had the um, the experience in our own workplace at United Way where we've had uh, women who have come to us um, who were going through a period of domestic violence or unrest in their homes. And often, you know, it is a two-way conversation and we are listening to what, you know, the woman needs. And in some cases, it means we need a safety plan for them. And, and that includes notifying other people in our building that that's going on, which can be very difficult to disclose because of the privacy matters, but it is about keeping someone safe. And so maybe you have to tell the receptionist to be on the lookout for this person or to not put calls through. Um, So we sort of wrap around the individual as it's needed and bring in help when we need it from uh, a Violence Against Women agency who can come in and help create the safety plan to um, your local police department who's come in before and done um, a walk around of our uh, building to see where there could be spots that may make someone feel vulnerable. You know, there's big bushes in the back that maybe you want to scale back so that nobody can hide there. Um, So we we sort of wrap around the individual um, and let them be a part of guiding and and the decision-making process on the scale of what they want um, in terms of support from their employer. That's great. Maggie, what would you have wanted or did you receive in terms of the best kind of support once you told people at work? What's the ideal response for you? The ideal response would have been that wraparound um, support. And in some cases, I received it. And uh, sadly, in some cases, I didn't. Um, And where I did receive it was from close co-workers, like friends that I would consider um, close confidants. They, uh, They helped. I did talk to some security once I really started to feel unsafe. Um, and I, I talked to um, the team there, uh, well, one of the, the supervisors of our security team, just to let him know. Um, and because there is a little bit of safety in a big building like this, but it's it's still not 100%. Um, so there's definitely room to grow because, uh, like I was saying, there's there's reaction. People just don't know how to react. They don't know what to say. Um uh, and then, I mean, that can go south pretty quick, too, when they don't have any idea of how to respond. Um, but I think a little bit more of a wraparound, like what Kelly was explaining at the United Way, just a little bit more um, ho- holistic and full circle, um, because I couldn't think of all the details myself. Because, again, I just it was just to survive, like get through Wednesday and then, OK, I'll deal with Thursday on Thursday. So I needed other people in my life to help fill those pockets of things that I couldn't think of. And eventually that came, um, but it was through a professional network with um, like a therapist and a counselor and um, and then one of the agencies that I did use. Well, you have to undo 
the years of emotional abuse, and that takes some effort. Um, I'm just thinking for myself what I might say to a coworker or someone that I care about is, you know, what was, what is that like for you, and how can I be helpful now? Would that have been a response that would be useful, or would that have been too intrusive? Um, I think that would have been useful. Again, it, um, I, I don't think I would have received it well from just anybody. Um, but at the same time, I wouldn't have had that one-on-one conversation with just anybody. It would have been somebody that I trusted. Or that person would have connected me with, say, somebody in HR, and then I would have had more of um, a network to draw from. Um, but definitely to ask questions like, how can I help? What can I do? Um, what do you need? And that person may not know how to answer those questions, but just to have somebody at work that cares and that um, will see to um, trying to help in whatever way that they can is so meaningful. Great. Great. Thank you. So in terms of um, an organization that's just never thought domestic violence was an issue that they needed to deal with and now they're realizing whether it's because they're in Ontario and it's the law or because they're somewhere else and they feel it's the right thing to do, where do they start? Hmm, that's a great question. I'm not an expert on this, but from my personal experience, um, we've already sort of touched on it a little bit with providing some awareness and education to senior and people leaders. Um, I think that's a great place to start, just as they would have to cover off emergency procedures or um, first aid procedures in a staff meeting or you know a team meeting. I think getting a little bit of education, whether it was from um, somebody from an agency from the United Way or uh, the police to come in and just share just even five minutes. It doesn't have to be this great big long intensive training session. Um, but I, I do think that that would be a good place to start. Um, perhaps somebody in human resources that could be designated as a mediator or a go-between person would be helpful. Because again, unless there's a complete trust between the worker and the uh, leader, not everything will be shared. So um, I think if there was somebody almost a third party, like from HR, still connected to both the worker and the employer, but that could help mediate, whether it was a a quick one-on-one, just so that a person like myself could have just shared some of the things that were going on, um, or whether it's uh, a more pronounced role where, like, they are the person, if if that's their full-time job to deal with something like that, perhaps. Um, But then just, I think, a support system in place of some type to help the person going through the abuse or the struggle with appointments. And it's okay to take a couple of hours in the afternoon because you can't always book a lawyer appointment or a therapy appointment, you know, after 4 p.m. So just to have that pressure taken off that, okay, I can, if I need to go an hour longer on my lunch hour because I need to get this lawyer appointment done, that's okay. I'm not, there's not going to be any repercussions. Yeah. So I have personally been involved in a couple of cases where the abuser was a female partner of a male and the shame that the male feels in coming forward because of the stereotypes. Maggie, if you're talking to a male or a female who is currently keeping it to themselves that this is what they're experiencing, what would be your advice to them? First and foremost uh, would be to thank them for opening up um, because I know personally how much of a struggle that is. Um, 
And sometimes even to this day, even though it's been a few years, I think, oh, maybe I should have just kept quiet because life would have been easier in some regards. I know that sounds crazy, but that crosses my mind. Um, so I, I would just I would just probably physically hug them or do something to just say thank you for opening up. But then I would just really encourage that individual to reach out to one of the agencies that we had mentioned, uh, that Kelly had mentioned with United Way. Those are the ones that I'm familiar with. Um, and that was really when things started to to go well for me. It was a difficult road. Like, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. It's been hell to go through the process that I have. Um, but to reach out, because those people are there and they're trained to do that. I'm not trained to do it. I can give some insight and some advice on my own personal journey. But I would first and foremost just say, please reach out. Here's a contact number. They can help you with that plan, with the plan to um, to save up money and to get ready to leave. Or if you need an, an urgent emergency escape plan, they can help prepare that. Um, and just to help the conversation to continue and to keep talking, whether it's to me about it or a professional about it, but to just like don't let it stop with that one conversation. Right, because that one conversation may have been awkward or uncomfortable, and to uh, continue to reach out to you find someone who's really helpful exactly. to you. And Kelly, just to wrap up, what do you really hope that people listening to this podcast will take away? Um, I think, uh, as Maggie said, uh, first and foremost is people to understand that they're heard and there are people that are available to help, uh, whether it's your coworkers, a supervisor, your employee assistance program or your benefits or reaching out to some of these agencies that are in communities. So there are resources available to help you and you're not alone. And then uh, second, that, you know, employers do have a duty to, uh, whether it's legislated or not, to create a a safe environment for their workers. And that includes um, being thoughtful and considerate about about policies that uh, would um, help people in those instances. So, you know, what is the difference between having a personal day policy or personal time policy versus sick days? Where you need, you know, doctor's notes, and it's overly cumbersome, and and you 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 know you feel like you have to be sort of on death's doorstep to be able to take sick time. Where if you have a more flexible policy that's personal time, that um, sort of acknowledges the whole person and their mental health, and and doesn't isn't intrusive on the reasons why you're here or not. So it can be, you know, as simple as considering some of those policies to more comprehensive um, with formal training programs. Great. Thank you. And Maggie, do you want to have the last word? Uh, Well, I think we've touched on it already. Uh, I can echo what Kelly said is so that they realize um, that they're not alone, that there's people of all ages um, going through it or have gone through it. And there are good people out there who are willing and ready to help. And they really, truly will do whatever it takes to get you in a healthy place um, they will they will do that complete wraparound for you. It's not just, it's not clinical, it's not uh, sterile, it's warm, and, um, and just to reach out if you think at all that you might be in a vulnerable spot. Great. Well, thank you both for being here today, and uh, I really hope that you're helping 
somebody out there to really take back control of their lives. Exactly. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you to our listeners for spending time with us today. As our guest said, wraparound support at work makes a big difference to people living with domestic violence. This requires creating a trusting and safe environment, education and training for leaders in HR, and accommodation for the individual who may be living with domestic violence. We hope you found this podcast helpful and hopeful. If you did, please share it and other helpful resources from Workplace Strategies for Mental Health on your social media channels. Hashtag Workplace Strategies. Importantly, please remember to visit WorkplaceStrategiesForMentalHealth.com for materials to support employees in your workplace. All tools and resources are free to everyone.